0: Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 18. Early in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, "May no fruit ever come from you again." At once, the fig tree withered. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed and said, "How did the fig tree wither so quickly?" Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. The fig tree is emblematic of Israel. I know this is contested, but it's just true. Hosea 9.10, Joel 1.7, the fig tree represents Israel, particularly the fruitless fig tree is analogous to fruitless Israel, corrupted by the legalistic teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, not adhering to what God had told them to do. And so for their fruitlessness, they are rebuked. This comes on the heels of the overturning of the tables. Uh, for the money changers in the temple who were capitalizing, basically charging admission to come and do worship and basically uh, turning the act of Old Testament worship, which was required by God into the chance to rip people off and make a lot of money. And Jesus is fed up with the legalism. He is fed up with the, with the, 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 the capitalistic sort of um, you know, den of thieves, as he calls it, that had become the, uh, the Old Testament temple. And he's fed up with their lack of fruitfulness for the kingdom. And so he rebukes the fig tree. The fig tree withers at once. Now let's talk about this because there's another account of this in Mark's gospel. And the two events, the two descriptions seem to conflict. This account says that the fig tree withered at once in verse 19. However, when we look at Mark chapter 11, we see a description of a fig tree incident that's totally different. In, in Mark 11 verse 12, the next day they went out from Bethany, he was hungry, right? Sounds familiar, right? Sounds like the same, the same setting. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went out to find if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing on it but leaves for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then comes a cleansing of the temple in verses 15 through 19. And then in verse 20, we see that they go back to the same fig tree the next day. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus replied to him, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. So the fact that they're both coming from Bethany and they're both so immediately adjacent to an overturning of the tables in the temple indicates that the Mark 11 account and the Matthew 21 account are describing the same event. But the conflicting detail here is that in the Matthew 21 account, the fig tree withers quickly in verse 19. And in verse 20, the disciples even marvel and say, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Whereas in the Mark 11 account, they come back the next day and see this. And so, A plausible explanation is that uh, that Matthew himself, for example, saw right away that the tree had withered, whereas in Mark's gospel, that wasn't the case. Either way, in both scenarios, Jesus gives this teaching about the efficacious nature of faith-filled prayer, because it's in accordance with the will of God. Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I was once on an atheist YouTube show and this verse was brought up verse 22. And if you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And the host of this show was actually mocking me for the death of my son. And he said, you asked, you are a pastor and you ask God to deliver your son. And he died anyway. And Matthew 21 verse 22 says, and if you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. I don't know if it got through, but the best that I could give was an explanation from Paul's writings about the thorn in the flesh that not everything that you ask God for is going to come to pass. I resolved while my son was in the hospital that absolutely everything that I believed, I knew. I knew God was able, I prayed that he would, and I did so believing and not doubting. In James, we see a similar teaching about asking God for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should go to God who gives freely without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave tossed back and forth by the wind, and he'll receive nothing from God. So when you ask God for wisdom, you're to do so believing. And on the heels of the withering of the fig tree... The rebuking of the fig tree And the teaching to have faith in God, Jesus gives a similar teaching. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And now here in the Matthew 21 account, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you will even tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will be done. And if you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. He's speaking to his disciples who turned the world upside down. The relocation of a mountain would not likely have been a big deal today. We would have come up with some sort of explanation for it. Geologists would have weighed in on the fact that a mountain basis seems to be right here, foundationally. And now there's this different set of, you know, topographical strata that seem to be displaced over here and we would have come up with some explanation for it. All right. See, like even our musings on which mountain exactly is, the, is Mount Ararat. We would have come up with some sort of explanation for it. It wouldn't have made headlines. It, nobody would have really cared. But it is the year that it is right now. We just celebrated New Year's here upon the filming because of the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus and in his initial walk on the earth impacted hundreds of people. All right? Like 500 people. But today, what we've inherited that has swept the globe and reached the other side of the world began through the Spirit's empowering of His disciples who became apostles. And now here we are. Jesus said this to His disciples. He's speaking to His disciples in particular. He's even in the Mark account answering, answering, Peter's remark, look, uh, the, the, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. It's also miraculous. In both accounts, it's miraculous that the, the fig tree would have withered from the roots up in the Mark account and that it would have withered instantly in the Matthew account. Both of these two things could fit together. It could be that Matthew sees that it withers right here and then Peter exclaims the fact that it's now withered from the roots up. Uh, in the Mark account. In either scenario, whether they are two separate accounts or whether they are one account, whether it's Matthew's perspective in this and Mark's perspective on that, and they're both describing the same miracle. Either way, you're looking at a, a miraculous moment where Peter exclaims this, and then Jesus says this to Peter. It would be Peter who would get up and address the massive crowd at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit would come down in the gift of tongues, whereby Jews from every nation in the world now went home to their synagogues with an accurate gospel presentation. And it is the year that it is because history was broken in half by that ragtag group of disciples. Indeed, Jesus spoke the truth to his disciples. They believed, they did not doubt. This same Peter to whom Jesus spoke these words in both the Mark 11 account and Matthew 21 account would speak to Sapphira about her husband Ananias you know, who had dropped dead because of their false intent in bringing an offering. It was the same Peter who would be used by the Holy Spirit of God to perform miracles that far, far eclipsed the cursing of the fig tree. These guys would be used of God to do even more than move mountains. They all believed. They never doubted and they received everything they asked God for in prayer. So do not misuse this text. It does not turn Jesus into Santa Claus. I've firsthand seen that happen before. Jesus spoke it to his disciples and it came absolutely true for them. And you and I apply this text by likewise, praying in faith, believing and not doubting. When our prayers go unanswered, it's because they're out of accordance with the will of God. God answers every single prayer that is according to His will. In the book of Revelation, you see this altar, you see this this incense that is burning and it represents the prayers of the saints. And these prayers all go up to God at once in the course of the events of Revelation. And it's like God answers all of these pent-up prayers at once, and the result is actually quite catastrophic for sin-stained earth. God is going to answer every single prayer that is in accordance with His will. Believe that, and do not doubt, and then watch God work. As He spoke to the father of the demon-possessed boy, everything is possible for him who believes. May this passage vastly increase the scope of what you pray for. Have you never prayed for a miracle because you don't want to be let down by God? You feel like you're putting God on the spot? You already know it's a foregone conclusion. If God does not give the miracle, it was not His will. But don't let this be a deterrent to keep you from praying to God for a miracle and especially praying to God for a miracle again. I think it takes greater faith to ask God for a miracle after having gone through painful, what you would describe as letdowns, but within the sovereign plan of God would actually lead to His glory, than it does to ask God for a miracle out of naivety. Would you go back to that childlike state of faith? Ask God to do something that seems impossible to you. Ask God for a revival in Seattle. Ask God for a move of His Holy Spirit that is incredible. We've seen this. I think that the overturning of Roe versus Wade it's incredible. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed by that. I would describe that as as miraculous, given the state of things. Right? It, it's it's incredible that at all, of all the times in history, you would have this. I'm really grateful for the Supreme Court justices who were put in place that brought this about. And I, I would never have believed you if you told me that it would happen at a time like this. I think that this is. I think I think that we need to ask God for more miracles. I think that we need to pray in accordance to the Holy Spirit's capacity, which is limitless. Would you consider this in your own prayer life that you would ask God with full belief, absolute genuine conviction to do impossible things?